Give it up for the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team, for the impromptu, spontaneous worship. Praise God. Well, good afternoon, Metro Praise International. Come on. You guys awake? You're ready? Second service. Let's go. Let's do this. I am, uh, my name is Lawrence Rodriguez. I'm a pastoral intern here at uh, Metro Praise International, and I am excited to give you the word today. Um, I have something, and we'll be going into it, uh, and it's going to be amazing. And so I cannot wait to share that with you, and I hope it blesses you. I hope it challenges you. I hope it shakes you up in the name of Jesus. So I am going to say a prayer, and then we're going to open up into the uh, word for today. So let's all just bow our heads and close our eyes one more time, just again, focusing our attention on the Lord. God, we love you so much. We're here for you. Lord, your word is a double-edged sword. Lord, let it pierce our hearts this afternoon. God, would you use it to divide any excuses? Would you use it to divide and cut off anything that's stopping your spirit from moving through us in the name of Jesus, Lord? We're hungry for you, God. Would you stir up and rekindle the fire in some of those here today if that fire has been lost or if that fire has waned? God, I pray that you would blow on the embers of our hearts this afternoon. Cause us to burn, Lord God. We are hungry and desperate for you in this place. Oh, thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said amen and amen. Well, we're going to be going to the book of Luke chapter 10. Everybody say Luke chapter 10. Come on. Now you don't have an excuse if you forgot it. You said it. Um, so let's go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1. And I actually got kind of a picture as I was getting ready for this word. And it's a little different, and I've never done it before, so it's not something that like is a personal conviction. Um, some people do it at other churches. But let's all actually stand if you're able to, if you're physically able to. Let's all stand to our feet. And let's read the verses. Let's read the word of God. Amen. We, we rise for the president, we rise for, you know, whatever, you know, the, the flag and all this different stuff. Well, let's rise for the word of the Lord today. God's word is amazing. It's the, the bread of heaven. It's gold. There's people in other countries who don't have the word of God, and they, they, they can't wait to get their hands on what we have at our disposal today. So we're going to read from verses 1 to 16, and then we're going to pick back up um, in verse 17, oh, uh, oh, let me look at my notes. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 and then 16 to 20. Amen? Amen? All right, here we go. Starting in verse 1, NIV translation, on the count of three. One, two, three. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone promotes is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. 
Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not, and not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, all right, then we stop there. Then we go to verse 16. Awesome. How are you guys doing? We're good? You sound a little quiet. This ain't a library. Come on now. This is a Pentecostal church, not a uh, Episcopalian, Presbyterian. We love those guys too. All right, starting in verse 16 to 20. On the count of three, one, two, three. Whoever listens to you listens to me. There we go. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Give it up for the word of God this afternoon. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Something that stands out immediately from this chapter. You guys can uh, be seated. I know. What's going on? Do I stand the whole service? If you're led to, why not? No, I'm just kidding. Um, Luke chapter 10, um, beginning at the, you know, verse 1 here in the beginning of the chapter. We see that the Lord is appointing 72 people. They were obviously disciples. These people were on Team Jesus. Everybody say Team Jesus. We don't know much about who these 72 people are. We know they're not the 12 apostles. You know, as a matter of fact, in the previous chapter, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles to kind of do something very similar. But these 72 don't necessarily have a title. They aren't pastors. They're not 72 pastors. They're not 72 apostles. They're not 72 teachers. They're not 72 prophets. These 72 people are pretty much just average disciples. Sometimes in Christianity, we get lost with the people on the stage. We get lost with the people who have titles or who carry the mic, and we think to ourselves, well, those are the people who are called to do God's work, the people who have the title, the people who are you know, really gifted in everything. Guess what? They get to do all the cool stuff. I am an average disciple. I'm an average Christian. I'm just going to come to church. I'm going to sit down. Hey, I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to compromise, but I just I don't have all those gifts. I'm just kind of an average disciple. I don't know if you guys ever felt that way before. Maybe you identify more with the 12 apostles, Peter, church planning, all that different stuff. If that's your calling, that's awesome. But how many of you guys know there's other people who might not be called to start a church? There's other people who might not, call to, who might not be called to fill stadiums and, and do all those different things. Um, maybe you could say they're just like an average disciple, so to speak, so to speak. Bear with me as I kind of go through this. You'll get it in a second. So we see that Jesus takes these 72 individuals. Again, we don't know much about them. There's not a lot written about them. They don't have their own books that they've written. They don't have their own TV show. They don't have any of this different stuff. They're just 72 people who love Jesus. Everybody get that? Amen. I need an amen from you guys today. Yes. These are just 72 people who love Jesus and are following God just like you and me. And what do we see? We see that Jesus appoints them, and he begins to send them out two by two 
ahead of him to kind of forerun his ministry. He sends them out to go into the different towns that he's about to visit, that he's about to preach to. And he tells them this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is telling them, hey, man, there's a lot to do out there. There's a lot of work. There's a huge need for workers to be going out into the harvest field. How many of you guys know that still applies to us today here in America? Even though many people claim to be Christian or that's somewhat still kind of barely a part of our culture a little bit, um, there's still a lot of work to be done here in America. The harvest is huge. Even now in Gen Z, so many different teenagers are now being turned off to the gospel and are leaving the church. The church needs to wake up and start working and start doing things. There's, there's so much to be done. And so Jesus looks, is looking at these 72. He's letting them know, hey, there's, there's a lot to do out there. The harvest is plentiful. We need to start praying. You guys need to start asking God to send out more workers. And in the same breath, what does he say in verse 3? What's the first word he says? Come on now. Shout it out. Go. Amen. Thank you. Yes. As he's talking about the harvest field, as he's talking about all the work that needs to be done, oh my gosh, this, the world is so chaotic, there's so much wickedness, there's so much perversion, so many people are out of order, and there's so much immorality, it's crazy. So much work needs to be, be done. The harvest is plentiful out there. Go. He looks straight back. He's not talking to the 12. He's not, this is going to be so clear as we continue to read the passages, but guys, he's not talking to the twelve. He's not talking to the apostles. We all know the Great Commission in Matthew 18. Jesus is ascending. He's saying to uh, you know his disciples, or well, he's not ascending, but you know he's about to ascend. He's about to do his thing. He tells his disciples, "Go out into the world and make disciples." We all know that. We've heard of the Great Commission. We get it. But guess who else he told to go? See, before we even have the Great Commission in Matthew 18, we're seeing here in Luke chapter 10, he's talking to the average Joe like you and me. Hey, you guys got to go too. What this shows us is that the idea of going out, the idea of being sent out to do the work of the gospel, this was something that was always on God's heart. This was something that was burning within Jesus even before he ascended, even before the Great Commission came. He was already telling his disciples to go. And it wasn't just the apostles. just wasn't the pastors. It wasn't just the people with the mic. It was the average person sitting in the pew. He looked at them and said, you guys got to go. I'm going to send you. I already sent the 12. They did their thing. They saw God move in powerful ways. It's awesome. If you want to check it out, Luke chapter 9. They saw healing signs and wonders. But then he looks at the other guys, the 72, who are just kind of following along, tagging along with Jesus. All right, Jesus, we're with you. We like what you're saying. We receive you. We're with you. We're down. He looks at them. Okay, now it's your turn. And something that has really grieved my heart, especially in America, we have so many people who are raging against the wickedness, the immorality, the craziness of this culture, and how far south it has fallen because it has. It's terrible what our children are being raised under, the media, the, 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 the ideologies, all this stuff that's exploding in our faces. We have a lot of people raging against the agendas, within the church at least. Most Christians will generally say, yeah, this, is, this stuff is out of control. 
you know what, man, they're, they're, they're having the drag queen hour, you know, they're trying to infiltrate the schools, they're trying to teach our kids about LGBTQ and, you know, abortion and pro-choice and all this different stuff. It's ridiculous. It's out of control. Some people will go as far as to make YouTube videos. They'll go and they'll make reels and they'll kind of expose all the darkness that's happening and, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff that's going wrong. And that's definitely a part of it. Nothing wrong with exposing the darkness. The Bible challenges us to do that as well. But guess what? That's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You're actually supposed to go and do something about it. And so we have too many people talking about what's happening in our world and too few people who are actually trying to make a difference. Jesus is not interested in you simply talking about the issues and the problems. He wants to see what you're going to do about it. So you come to Jesus, Lord, there's all these sick people in my neighborhood. Lord, there's all these homeless people in my community. Lord, there's all these different things going on, Catholicism and all this different craziness. I don't know what's going on. It's grieving. I'll make a YouTube video and look at all this different stuff that's happening. And then Jesus will be like, okay, that's, that's crazy. I'm with you. Wow, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, you know what, Lord, man, I, I, man, I wish this one guy would, would, you know, I wish these pastors would do something. I wish these churches would do something. Man, I wish we had different governors and different, and then Jesus is like, well, what are you doing about it? What are you guys doing about it? Jesus will handle the 12 apostles. He'll teach them. He'll do his thing with them. But then he looks back at the 72, and he commissions them, and he tells them to go. So we need to see and understand right from the get-go from this verse, right at the beginning, every disciple is expected to go. Every disciple is expected to infiltrate darkness. The title, technically, of this sermon that God put on my heart is Offensive Christianity. Offensive Christianity. We're all called to be on the offense. We're all called to be pushing back, not just those who are gifted, who have the resources, who have the charisma. No, you sitting in the chair, you're supposed to be doing it. You're supposed to be going. If you don't think that you're supposed to go and you think that you're exempt from that, from reaching those around you, guess what? You might not be a disciple. You might be something else. Maybe there's another church that will lower the bar so low that all you have to do is come and not do anything for the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus did with his disciples. How many of you guys want to replicate what Jesus did back then? Amen. Maybe if we replicate what Jesus did, we'll start seeing what Jesus saw and his disciples saw. And he says, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. Guys, it's ferocious out there. You might think to yourself, okay, I'll go out, I'll preach, I'll lay hands on the sick, I'll stand up for the gospel and everybody's going to love me, they're going to start crying, they're going to start accepting Jesus on the spot. Sometimes that can happen and it's great when it does. But the majority of times, what does the Bible say? They hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. Constantly, every time we go out evangelizing, every time we go to the abortion places, the Planned Parenthood, um, this past week uh, we went to a library that was hosting a uh, drag queen story hour for children ages 0 to 5, and fits of toddlers. How many guys know that's crazy? That should not be happening. Amen? <laughs> Don't send your kids to drag queen. There was somebody who actually called themselves a believer and was saying, I am proud of doing this, taking my child to be, uh, you know, learn from a drag queen. Anyway, as we're out there sharing the gospel, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ, what is the majority of the response from a lot of the, a lot of the encounters we have? They curse at us. They hate us. They mock us. They make fun of us. Friends, the 
church will kind of paint this picture that if you go out, if say you do happen to go out, say you do happen to pray for your neighbor, they're going to love it so much. They're going to feel God's presence. A Chris Tomlin song or whatever will play in the background and like angels will come down and they'll just start weeping and like everything will be so cool. Guys, if it was that easy, then probably more Christians would be out there sharing the gospel or something. The truth of the matter is that's not how it is. We live in a generation that is full of wolves. People who are looking to take advantage of you, mock you, use you, ridicule you, belittle you, curse you out. And you have to be okay with that. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, we, 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 we defend ourselves. We offer up an apology for the word of God. We, we back it up. We, we have dialogues, right? So we're not necessarily letting people walk over us. But there's an element of our mission. We're not necessarily called to be wolves among wolves. We're called to be sheep in a generation full of wolves. Where everybody's cursing at us and pointing the finger and we don't curse back. When everybody's ridiculing us and trying to get into a debate and try and push our buttons and see how far they can push us over the cliff before we turn right in the face and lose our self-control. Friends, that's not the way to do it. You have to be a lamb. You have to be a sheep, and that's crucial when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. But they will attack you. So expect that. When you go out and you preach the gospel and you share your faith, they're going to attack you. They're going to look for something to get you with. But again, we have to have a heart of a sheep, a, you know, innocent uh, among that environment. We can't let that, you know, corrupt us and corrupt our heart or character. And we see that Jesus is encouraging them, you know, not to take anything with them, purses, bags, all that good stuff. It meant that, you know, hey, it's, it's urgent. They have to go out. Don't be bogged down by anything. Just kind of go in faith. And so we're giving, we're, Jesus is kind of giving them these different instructions as to when they enter the different towns. And it's awesome and it's powerful. And then we see here in verse 9, Jesus gives them an instruction. Again, he's telling them, you know, rules and, you know, guidelines about entering into somebody's house and how that all kind of works out. I don't think we're necessarily called to do the exact same thing. That was kind of a special mission that these disciples were on, so we don't have to, like, get rid of all of our shoes and only have one pair, right? How many of you guys know that was probably just something specific for them at that moment, you right? Everybody understand that? Sometimes God is giving different people instructions in the Bible, but when we take it in context, you know, it was just kind of for that one specific instance. But then we see here in verse 9, something else that these 72 are expected. So obviously they're going out, they're preaching the gospel, they're sharing their faith, they're infiltrating the culture, they're being sent out as lambs among wolves. These are, again, the 72 disciples, not the 12, not the apostles, not Peter, James, John, all those, all those different people. Um, this is the 72. What are they expected? In verse 9, it says this, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has been brought near to you. A lot of times people will say, well, healings, miracles, signs, and wonders, that was something only the apostles were able to do because they had special superpowers. They were part of the Avengers team of Jesus. Uh, everybody else can't really see those type of signs and wonders. Everybody else can't really operate in that level of miraculous power. That was something unique specifically for the apostles since they had the job to establish the early church. Well, here, Jesus is again looking at the average person, the normal Christian, the person who might not be called to start churches across the entire world. He's looking to the average person sitting in the chair, and he tells them, heal the sick. Heal the sick. Oh, well, I'm not gifted in that. 
But I don't know if I'm able to do that. I'm going to let my leaders do that. I'm going to let the pastor do that. I'm going to let whoever's called to full-time ministry, the legacy students, right? I'm going to let those guys take care of all the healing, all the miracles. I, I'm just coming here because, hey, I want to be a disciple. I want to live for Jesus. But I don't know about any of all that, all that stuff. Jesus is looking to these 72 individuals, and he's saying, you guys have to heal. Go out and perform miracles. Heal the sick. This shows us that no matter who you are, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple, there is an expectation for you to operate in the miraculous. You have to. This isn't the 12 apostles. This is the 72. And what does it say here after the instruction to heal the sick? It says the kingdom of God, when you interact, when these 72 people are interacting with their community, the areas that they're being sent out to, they're supposed to heal the sick, and they're supposed to tell these different communities something. This blew my mind when I was going over this. Not only are they healing the sick, but as they're interacting with the different people and the areas that they're sent out to, what does it say? They're telling them, the kingdom of God has been brought near to you. The kingdom of God. In me going to your community and sharing Jesus with you, performing a miracle, praying for those who are sick in your area, the kingdom of God just got this close to you. Who is Jesus telling this to again? 72. 72. Not the 12. Not the 12. Of course, we understand the 12 had all of that going on too, right? But the 72. There's not a book. There's not 72 books in the New Testament named after these different 72 people. But here they are, bringing the kingdom of God close face-to-face to the people they encounter. When you have Bible study in your neighborhood, that neighborhood has encountered the kingdom of God. Every time you go and evangelize and tell somebody about Jesus, you have brought the kingdom of God straight to their face. You guys have to understand the authority and power God has given you as believers and disciples. You carry the kingdom of God wherever you go. Well, I'm just at a family barbecue. People are drinking. There's loud music in the background. Guess what? The moment you change the topic, well, the moment you walk into the room, the light is already shining. The glory is already resting over you. There's somebody who's alive there, and there's a bunch of other people who are dead there. Everybody understand that? So even when you go into that barbecue, even when you go into that party, even if you're just handing out flyers before Bible study even starts, you're establishing and bringing God's kingdom straight to these different people. And and, and just, again, look at the proximity. You're not just bringing it around them. The kingdom of God has come near. We are called as disciples to bring the kingdom of God near to this generation. You are called to bring the kingdom of God near to your neighbor, near to your community, near to your coworkers. They might be belittling you. They might be telling you you're crazy, you're not qualified, you don't have a doctorate, and, and you can't tell me all this different stuff as why this is wrong and this is right or whatever. They might not trust you. They might not believe in you. doesn't matter. They just encountered the kingdom of God. That's powerful. Sometimes Christians get so discouraged when somebody, you know, they, they hand a flyer, they're trying to preach the gospel, share their faith, and the person rejects them, the person mocks them, the person slaps a flyer on the floor. Ah, who are you? You know, you're not the pastor, you're not the, the so-and-so, I'm not going to listen to whatever you have to say. 
No, but if that person's a believer, if they're born again and they're living for Jesus, they're carrying the kingdom of God. So in the sinner's mind, they might be rejecting, you know, this little puny Christian who doesn't look all that impressive, but the reality is they just rejected a representative of the kingdom of heaven that is coming, that is eternal, that's powerful. You guys carry the kingdom, and you're called to carry the kingdom with you. And again, what, what does the kingdom of God mean? Just look at Jesus' life. Look at how he interacted with people. Look at what he did when he was on this earth. He was healing the sick, raising the dead, proclaiming righteousness, calling people to repentance. That is what we are bringing. Whenever we enter a community, whenever we stand for the gospel, we are representing a history, a history of an endless kingdom, an eternal kingdom. How many of you guys know we are representatives? Let's all actually turn to uh, 1 Corinthians. Nope, sorry, not 1 Corinthians. 1 Peter 2.9. This is supposed to come later, but hey, let me throw it in there now. Uh, 1 Peter 2.9. This is a famous verse. We all probably know it, have heard of it. But we got to understand it because, okay, we're living in a dark world. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of wickedness. Sure, people are living sinful. Sure, a lot of people are going to hell, and, and it's being promoted and celebrated and paraded around. We have months dedicated to this stuff. But what is your role in all of this? Who are you as a believer, as a Christian? Maybe you're not the full-time minister, you know, whatever title that these different people have. But guess what you are? Verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Anybody get called out of darkness? Anybody in this place got called out of darkness into God's wondrous light? If you are a believer, guess what you are? You are a royal priesthood. You're God's special possession. When you walk into that job, I'm telling you guys, when you walk into that job, and you're surrounded by a bunch of unbelievers who think you're a fool for living for Jesus and not acting crazy like they are, you are a royal ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. A royal ambassador carrying the kingdom of God just stepped into that job site. That's what you carry. That's powerful. Too many Christians are bogged down with all the anxiety and worry and burdens, and they forget who they are. They forget who God called them to be. They've let the devil lie to them for so long that they're just a puny, tiny little believer that has just barely any influence on anything. That's not the Bible I read. You are a chosen people. Everybody who's given their lives over to the Lord has been chosen by God. You have been appointed by God to do great and mighty things. Some of you guys need to take that and believe it. And when you apply that, you'll begin to see some amazing things. So they go out. They bring the kingdom of God near. Then Jesus takes a little bit of a, a break to uh, rebuke some towns that uh, were not receptive to the gospel. He starts calling them out, woe to you, and you know, he goes into all this different stuff. How many of you guys know some of the miracles that we see today, let me say this, that a lot of people take what we see in the church the power of God, the anointing, the presence, the testimony. So many people take that for granted. And Jesus' point in these few verses, we didn't really go over it, but Jesus' point was, man, if just this little bit that you guys are getting now, if Sodom and Gomorrah got this, they would have repented instantly. 
Man, we have so many resources. We have so many opportunities for people to give their lives to the Lord. I guarantee you if even one of you was sent to Sodom and Gomorrah with the power and the authority that you have now as a believer, maybe Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented and come to Christ. That was Jesus' point in these verses if you want to go over it when you have time. But moving on, starting in verse 16, it says again, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. How many of you guys have heard this phrase? Well, you know, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And, it, and it's awesome. And it's, like, it's, like, it, it's usually like a pat on the back because you're starting to feel bad. You're starting to feel discouraged. Oh, man, you know, none of my unsaved coworkers like me. They're, they're making fun of me again. Like, I came in there with my Bible. I was listening to, you know, Christian music. Here we go again. They're making fun. Well, they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting Jesus. It's, it's almost like to to kind of, uh, you know, compensate for any discouragement or lack of confidence that you had. Friends, let me say it again. Whoever listens to you listens to who else? Jesus. If they listen to you, they're listening to who? Jesus. Is Jesus just a average Joe strolling the streets right now? Who is Jesus? <laughs> Amen, yes. Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords, the eternal word who sustains all, of, all things together in his hand. When you speak the gospel and stand for your faith, you are literally having Jesus stand behind every word that you're saying. That's powerful. Because when you start to understand who you are in Christ and what you carry as a believer, there should be no room for discouragement, lack of confidence, worry, anxiety, all of these different things. If they happen to reject you, who are they rejecting? Jesus. That's not something to feel bad about yourself for. That's something to make you kind of have the fear of God. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm actually representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How many of you guys know if we had an ambassador from another country, they have these diplomats, they go to other countries, they have diplomatic immunity, all this different stuff. They basically are representatives from another country. Usually these people, when they come into other countries, they have authority. They can do almost anything they want to, even some bad stuff, because of this immunity that they carry. Why? Because they're this ambassador. Hey, when, you know, so-and-so comes in the building, they're actually representing the entire nation of Russia right now. See, when we say it like that, it's like, oh my gosh, this person's representing an entire country. Like, wow, that's so cool. You guys are representing the entire kingdom of heaven. Do you guys understand that? That changes things. That changes things. When you understand you're representing the entire kingdom of heaven, you're representing Jesus here on earth. That's a big deal. That's huge. Your neighborhood and your community needs to understand who you represent. The relatives, the family members that you have, the people that are around you, your unsafe friends, there should be an understanding. They're not just rejecting you. No, they're rejecting a representative of Jesus himself. You guys carry the kingdom of God with you wherever you go. So in verse 17 to the 72, they go out. They start seeing that everything that Jesus said was true. They heal the sick. They're casting out demons. They returned with joy and said, even the demons submit to us in your name. How many of you guys know it's still in his name? <laughs> Don't build a ministry off of your name. Build it off of his name. Amen? We have too many people propping themselves up 
of how gifted they are and how much they can do for God. No, it's his ministry. It's his kingdom. It's his name, Jesus. That's who we are under. But they return with joy. First and foremost, guys, if you are feeling down, how many of you guys know after going out on the streets, preaching the gospel, sharing your faith, you don't really feel that discouraged anymore? There's a faith that comes into you. There's a joy that erupts within your soul. You're like, man, what was I worried about again? What was I, what was I, why was I feeling sad earlier? I just got to pray for this person. I shared my faith. I stood my ground. I got to, you know, this person started crying when I told them to repent. What, what, what was I thinking about again? Some of you just need to get out and do the thing. And all the worries and all the problems that you're so concerned about will just disappear and vanish in an instant. These 72 returned with joy in their hearts, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Something about this is funny because they're saying it as almost as if they're shocked, as if they're surprised. Jesus, you will never believe this. Like the craziest thing happened. I went out and did everything you said, and it actually worked. Everybody catch that? They're like so mind blown of what just happened. It's almost as if they went out not even expecting it to happen, doing everything that Jesus told them to do. Praise God, he still used it, and the Holy Spirit still moved through them. But how many of you guys know we just need to take Jesus at his word? If he said it, we got to believe it. If he said heal the sick, we got to start praying for the sick. Don't be afraid. Hey, you know, things don't go the way you thought they would. They didn't turn out the way. Don't, don't stop praying for healing. Don't stop believing God for miracles. Do what Jesus said. And guess what? It's going to happen eventually. You pray for enough people to get sick, to, to pray, pray for enough sick people to get healed. Guess what? You're going to see somebody get healed at some point. You will. We just need to take Jesus at his word. And so these disciples come back so, like, mind-blown, so amazed. I can't believe this just happened. Jesus, everything you said, literally, we saw it occur. And Jesus is like, he's probably like, okay, guys, this, this, I told you this was going to happen. You should have just, anyway. But then he has this reply. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, which is awesome. That's crazy. He's like, I got a story that can trump all of your guys' stories. I, I got to see Satan fall like lightning. You guys don't have anything on that. Um, but anyway, in verse 19, what does it say here? Again, just playing on this idea that we have authority in Christ. We have authority and power in who we are as believers. If you're living for God, this is what you carry. Jesus, who is he talking to again? The 72. Yes, he's not talking to the 12. He's talking to the 72 people who don't have names. They're not listed. They, they have names, right? But they're not named they don't have books in the Bible. These are just regular people who just love Jesus. And what does he tell them? These 72 people, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Some of you in this place need to understand that what God has given you has power to overcome all of the enemy has to, has to throw at you. It's like if we just understood it, if we just believed it, if we just got a hold of what Jesus is telling us, simply put, it would change our entire mindset. It would change our perspective. Name one thing that has authority over what God has given you. Does depression have authority over what God has given you? 
Does any amount of lust or addiction have any authority over what God has given you? How about any amount of fear? Fear of death, fear of losing a loved one, fear of something going wrong, fear of failure. Does any of that have any more authority than the authority God's given you? No. Jesus has given us power and authority to overcome the enemy. Are you living in defeat today? Is it a struggle? Maybe you're, maybe you're not living in full defeat, but man, you're struggling and you're just barely moving along in your walk with the Lord. And every day you wake up, it's a struggle just to, just to wake up. I don't know. You just feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and it's, and it's winning the battle. Friends, you just need to wake up, snap out of it, and check out what Jesus already told you. You have the authority. You have the power. You're a powerful, powerful believer full of God's authority on the inside of you. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. That is your reality. So any and all excuses should be evaporated instantly. Your attitude should change automatically. Whatever mountains in your life that you're facing should be thrown with a mustard seed of faith. Because of what God has already given you. But again, we blow up things so huge in our lives. We get lost in all of the different things that are happening. We forget who God called us to be. We forget the authority that God's given us as believers. Not only do we have authority to overcome anything and everything that the devil can try and throw at us. Not only do we have authority to cast out demons and whatever spirit, whatever demonic, you know, just take all the demonic activity and all the evil spirits over the entertainment, over the social media, just take them all. All of their power combined has to still submit to you. Not just the pastor, not just the one, you know, walking with the, 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 the three-piece suit and all this different stuff. No, no, they have to submit to you, the one who's just living for Jesus. Living, living for the Lord, reading their Bible. Maybe you're not famous, maybe you don't have a huge platform, but you're, you're loving the Lord, you're following God. You're doing what he says. Guess what? God has given you that kind of power and authority. You gotta walk in it. You gotta believe it because it changes things when you do. And then it reminds them the most important thing is that your guys' names are written in the book of life. You're, you guys are, you're, you're, yeah, your names are written in heaven. Amen. So that's just this kind of the, uh, that's the introduction, if you will. Everybody say, that's just the introduction. <laughs> Come on now. Um, but that plays into what God really uh, put on my heart to share with you, and it goes with what I'm kind of talking about here, offensive Christianity. As Christians, we are called to go on the offense. And in order for us to be able to go on the offense and actively push back against the enemy, we have to understand who we are. We have to understand the authority we carry. Because we're called to be a light in the darkness. We're called to bring transformation to our communities and neighborhoods. We're called to shine God's light in our family, in our relatives, and our jobs. But we have to take an offensive position and start going. Christianity is not about staying. It's offensive. It goes. It goes out. It attacks. It goes out. It proclaims. It declares. It shouts. That's what the good news is. The good news is something that's supposed to be told. If it wasn't a told, if it wasn't something that was supposed to be told, it would be called the good secret. It would be called the good secret. It's not called the good secret, it's called the good news. 
And so as Christians, we have to be on the offensive because the world is getting darker and darker as we see it everywhere. There was this one individual that we met when we were at the library preaching against this craziness. She was a, she was a Hispanic woman, mother. She wasn't a part of the drag queen story hour, but she came out of it. It was funny. They actually had the drag queen story hour in like a far back room with a security guard over the door. Like, how weird is that? Anyway, this Hispanic mom comes out. She's talking to my wife. And she tells my wife, well, you know what? As long as we just keep the right teachings in the home, there's nothing we can do. She tells my wife, you know what? As long as we just raise our kids right and we just keep everything together in the home, as long as we just keep the right message here at home, we don't got to go out to the library. We don't got to try and convince people and change people. As long as we just take care of our own, everything will work out. This woman was so deceived. But sadly, that's how it is with a lot of Christians in the church. Instead of going out as lamb among wolves, they're staying and they're hiding, thinking that everything will be okay. Sorry, we don't need another YouTube channel or Facebook reel. We need people going into the darkness. That's what we need. We don't need more people just raging against different stuff that are happening. We need people, boots on the ground, trying to make a difference in individual lives. But this mom wasn't thinking as an offensive Christian. She was trying to win by having a defensive position, not doing anything about it. That's not what God has called us to do, especially in this hour, especially with what's going on, especially with the increase of wickedness in America, in Chicago, in our high schools. We're supposed to do something. We're supposed to go out. We're supposed to spread the news. Not on our watch. Amen? So here are three things that you need in order to wage an offensive war against the devil, especially here in America. You have to have good aim. You have to have the right objective. If your aim's off and you don't know what you're aiming at, you won't hit anything. You have to have good aim. And what is the objective? What did Jesus leave his disciples with before he went up? The Great Commission. Don't, don't mean to sound like a broken record player here, but Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, he's just reiterating, reiterating what he's already been saying throughout the whole entire Gospels. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There's no other objective other than what Jesus just said. He didn't leave any other instructions for the church other than the Great Commission. Isn't that crazy? Yet in so many churches, what are our objectives and what are our goals? Well, we want to start this, and we want to do this for the community, and we want to, you know, be a friend to those who need a friend and whatever. And, and a lot of that is good. A lot of that is important, and a lot of that even is a part of the gospel to an extent. But what's the main objective? What's the thing that's at the center? What's the bullseye? Winning souls. What's the bullseye? Bringing people into the kingdom of God. If you are not doing that, your aim is off. And you're not going to win any kind of war that's going on right now. 
In order to wage a spiritual war in this generation, you have to have the right objective, which is to make souls. When was the last time you made one? When was the last time you won somebody to Christ? When was the last time you discipled somebody? Because if you have not been doing that for a long time, you're missing the objective. Your aim is off, point blank. Number two, say you have the right aim. And you say, man, I'm down with that. We need to preach the gospel. We need to stand for Jesus. We need to do all this different stuff. We need to be as radical as we possibly can. You have the right objective, but you also have to have good execution. You can't just have the right aim and the right objective and then miss it every time you take a shot. There's so many people who talk the talk, but they're not landing any of the blows they're trying to throw at the devil. They might be punching. And the whole time, the devil's not getting hit once. That's how some of your guys' lives are. You're talking the talk. You're showing up with us. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm so radical. I'm so awesome. I'm going to preach the gospel. Tell you to repent. And the devil's just ducking and dodging every type of punch you try and throw at him. You're not landing any of your blows. You might have the good aim. You might know your objective. But you're not hitting the target. Don't just talk about it. I'm tired of people creating. <laughs> I mentioned this a few times already. Uh, so you guys probably are, are catching on. I... I'm so turned off by individuals posting these, these, these famous Christian YouTubers or whatever. Not all of them are like this, by all means. But so many Christian YouTube influencers and social media personalities, they're posting all of this content, and I never see them once on the street. Or if they are on the street, once, you know, making a disciple and actually helping somebody grow in the Lord. They think to themselves, as long as I'm just talking... That's getting the, the mission done. That's achieving the goal. That's fulfilling the Great Commission. No, it says win disciples and teach them and help them. Got to help them grow. You can't just be a talker. So we don't really need any more people just talking and getting on the bandwagon. We don't need any more people getting on the Christian hype revival bandwagon anymore. Get off the bandwagon. Make a disciple. If you haven't made a disciple and you've uploaded so many different YouTube videos on, on YouTube, on social media, and you're not winning anybody to the Lord, you haven't landed one blow. You haven't landed one blow in the devil's face. I want to make the devil so red he has to run away every time he sees me, friends. If the devil ain't running away from you, something's wrong. The devil should be scared of each and every one of you. Because every time he comes around in your life, what happens? You hit him in the face. You have to know your target. You have to have good aim. You have to have good execution. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who is running aimlessly. If you are running aimlessly in your life right now, I don't care what you might have done in the past, where are you right now? Are you running aimlessly? We want to pray for you at the end. We want to have an altar call and pray for God's deliverance over your life because you're supposed to be running in a specific direction. There should be clarity. You should be knowing where you're going. Not running aimlessly. What does Paul say next? I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. We have too many Christians that are beating the air. They think they're fighting, and their mind, they're convinced they're doing so much damage to the kingdom of, of, of darkness 
But they're just fighting the air. They're beating the air. They haven't done anything to the kingdom of hell. Don't be like a runner running aimlessly. Don't be like a boxer beating the air. What does Paul say? No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And then lastly, you have to have good aim, you have to have good execution, and you have to finish the job. You have to finish your race. For those of us who have been around at MPI for you know, X amount of years, we've seen so many different individuals come and go. So many people, and usually what happens, they come in hot. They come in on fire. They come in just ready to just, man, just do whatever against the devil. They're like coming to every service, first and second. They go to every life group, you know, like they just get so on fire for God. And it's awesome, and it's encouraging to see. And it's even more amazing when they stay the full course and they're still here today, amen? If you guys are some of those people who came in on fire and you're still on fire, give God some praise right now in the name of Jesus. But so many other people somewhere along the race get tired. So many people somewhere along the fight. Because what does Paul say? He says, I have fought the good fight. There's a fight that you're supposed to be having right now. And some people quit. Some people lose the fight. Some people are good and are able to fight for five years. But when it comes to that sixth year and they wake up one more day, they don't want to fight anymore and they give in. And they quit. They lose the fire. We were just singing about it in that powerful time of worship. May the fire on my altar never go out. They lose the fire. They stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. It happens all the times, even among pastors and churches. But we have to fight the good fight, and we have to finish the race. If we know our objective, and we have the right aim to save souls, to make disciples, to help raise up people to be on fire for the Lord and walk with them in every stage of their life to help them grow and to be everything God's called them to be. If we have the right aim and we have good execution and we're actually making disciples, we're actually connecting with people, we're actually raising up people right and left, it's not enough to just do that for a little bit. It's not enough just to do that when things are going good. You have to do that until your race is run. And how many of you guys want to be able to go to God on judgment day, having fought your fight and never given up and look back at him and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be able to look Jesus in the eye when he sees me on that day and be able to show a life full of fighting the fight and finishing the race. Don't quit now. Don't lose your fight now. Things are only going to get worse. It's only going to get harder. Don't wait for it to get easier. Don't wait for it to get easier. It's going to get harder. Trust me. The way things are happening in our culture, who knows what's next? Don't give up the fight. Know your aim. Have good execution and finish your race. If we can all stand. If I can have Jerry come up to the guitar. Thank you, Jesus. I believe God wants to restore the fight in his people. I believe we're not seeing more communities changed. I'm, I believe that we're not seeing more schools reached. I believe we're not seeing more souls 
encountered and impacted by the gospel because too many Christians have lost the fight. Praise God for Metro Praise that is going out almost every single day on the streets preaching the gospel. It's amazing. God is so good. And there's other people that are doing it. There's other people that are hopping on board. Even throughout the church in America, many people are starting to wake up. But overall, statistics show that the average Christian hasn't witnessed anybody in over six months. That's the average. Most Christians don't even tithe or give to the church. The reality is the church is full of a bunch of people who have given up the fight, who are not going out. They don't know their objective. They don't know how to fight back against the enemy. And they're easy prey for the devil to pick out. Who do you want to be today in this place? Do you know the objective? Have you been making disciples? And have you been fighting a good fight or have you been contemplating quitting and giving up? God wants to remind you today there's a crown of righteousness waiting for you if you don't give up. If you finish your race, you get to hear from the King of kings and Lord of lords, well done, my good and faithful servant. When we go out and we preach the gospel and we reach those around us for Jesus, we're not just doing it as puny, substitute Christian, you know, people who, who whatever. We're, we're doing it as people full of God's authority, God's chosen people who are full of his power. It's time for this culture to see real Christians rise up. And I know many of us in this place, again, we, we're out on the streets, we're, we're, we're serving in different ministries. Just take those three things that I mentioned at the end and just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, where do I fall in all of this? Maybe you're living for God, maybe you're not living in sin, but man, you've just, you've just been getting quiet. You just haven't, you just, you feel like you haven't been landing the blows to the enemy anymore. Maybe you feel like things have been hard and you feel like giving up. You feel like you can't, you haven't been running as fast as you used to. If that's you today, I want you to take a moment right now before we have the altar workers come up and just ask the Holy Spirit to bring you back. Bring you back to what matters. Bring you back to your identity in Him. Bring you back to who God called you to be. So if we can all, with all, uh, if we can all bow our heads, close our eyes in this place, just you and God right now, talk to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would come that you would begin to speak to each and every one of us, Lord God. So have you been running aimlessly the last few years? Have you been fighting the good fight this past month? How high of a priority is it to make a disciple and save people in your community? Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. We welcome you. Just allow the Lord to begin to pull on your heart whatever he's highlighting. Just begin to dialogue with him. right now. Holy Spirit, come. Is there ever a time you were running faster? As we get older, 
longer we serve the Lord, we shouldn't be slowing down. We should only be going faster and faster for him. Maybe for some of you, you need to compare when you first said yes to Jesus and where you're at right now. Has there been a decrease of speed? Have you slowed down? Have you given up on some things? God's reminding you in this place, this afternoon, it's time. Holy Spirit, stir up your church. Stir up your church, Lord God. There's a dying world, God. We don't have time for Christians to make up their mind whether they want to be 100% in or out. There's an entire generation at stake with all the agendas being pushed in our children. Lord, I ask you, even now as we speak, Lord God, help your church to be all that you've called them to be, to fight the good fight, to go on the offense, Lord God, to know who they are in you and the authority that they possess. If I can have the worship team and the altar workers come up. good news is there's an opportunity to make it right. There's an opportunity to pivot. There's an opportunity to change. And so as we sing and as we worship, as you're led of the Lord, if God's highlighting this to you and you know you need to pick up the pace, you haven't been going as hard as you used to be, you've been running aimlessly, you've been beating the air, you haven't been landing your blows against the enemy, it's time to make it right. I want you to come up to these altars right now. Pray with one of these leaders, guys with guys, girls with girls, and just make a covenant, make an agreement that moving forward, you're going to fight the good fight and you're not going to give up. And you're going to push. You're not going to grow weary. You're going to push through the discouragement. You're going to push through whatever you may be facing. You're not going to lose your fight. If you feel like you've lost your fight over these years because of different things that have happened in your life, now is the time to make it right. Ask the Lord. Come up to the altars. Ask God to restore the fight inside of your heart. Because right now we need it more than ever.
in this generation. We will not be shaken in the name of Jesus. We will not be shaken in the name of Jesus. Nothing the devil can do will shake us because we will stand our ground. We will stand our ground and fight back in the name of Jesus. If your life has been shaken, you need to ask God to straighten you out in the name of Jesus. praying, keep going after God, but for everybody else, maybe in your mind you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, my life isn't falling apart. I'm pretty good. I, like, I, it's, it's not really that bad. It, it's, it's okay. I want you to ask yourself this question because, friends, there's too many people that are deceived and they've set the bar so low for themselves, they're not useful in the kingdom of God anymore. When was the last time that you saw somebody saved that you led to the Lord yourself and you started discipling them. We don't need more hype. We don't need more events. We need more disciples. We need more people discipling the lost. That looks like multiplication. That looks like you replicating yourself in somebody else. And so I want those of us in this room to take inventory and be honest with ourselves. If you have not raised up somebody else in a long time, I want you to ask the Lord to help you change your mindset and your heart so that you can be a disciple maker. Because that's something that we're all called to be. We're all called to be disciple makers. Because the objective is to win souls and to teach those around us the word of God. God, I pray that this building would be filled and would be multiplied by the end of this year because people in this church got a hold of something. They need to start replicating themselves and multiplying themselves and the people around them. Lord, we pray for fresh souls, fresh souls that weren't abracadabrated into the, into the church. No, they were pulled in through prayer, through fasting, through intercession. We're going to start pulling people into the church because we have the right aim and the right focus. If that has not been on your heart, you need to repent. I beseech you, repent, please. Ask the Lord to forgive you for not prioritizing the main goal, the only thing he left for his disciples. If you're spending your time building up something else that's other than the Great Commission, you're building the wrong foundation. It's not the goal, it's not the objective, you have the wrong aim, you need to get their aim right. It's souls, it's souls, it's souls, it's souls, it's souls. I know we live in a wicked generation, and I know so many people are turned up to the gospel, but there should be a constant flow of people who are attracted to the light because you're reaching out. Because I believe there's too many people in this place who are not making any disciples. 
many people in this place who are not making disciples. And that's so far from your mind. That's so far from who you, that's just not on your radar. It's like totally the last thing you think about when it really should be the first. Because we want to follow Jesus and do what he says. So again, let's just continue to pray and ask the Lord if this is touching you, if this is pulling on your heart, come up to these altars. Let's close out now with this song. Thank you, Jesus. single person here, Lord, if we just made one disciple, if we just went out like Jesus sent out the 72, we casted out demons and we operate in the authority and power of God in our lives, we would see souls saved. We would see lives changed. And if we're reaching out and if we're constantly hitting up people and messaging people to come to our church, but they reject us, they ridicule us, they mock us. If we're, if we're trying to reach out, if we're putting ourselves out there, but nobody's coming, nobody's responding, then Lord, we commit to praying and interceding until they do. Because that's a part of the fight. Just in these last few moments, just you and God right now. What can you do? What can you do right now to fulfill the Great Commission and strike a blow to the enemy's kingdom? Holy Spirit, speak to us in this place right now. Just you and God. The next 30 seconds before we dismiss. There's work to be done. There's so much work to be done. Holy Spirit, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you, Lord God, for highlighting your word today. God, we pray for more people to come into the kingdom of heaven. Right now, just pray and ask God to save more souls. Can we do that before we close out and leave after party? Can we just ask God to save souls into the kingdom? Save them, Lord. 
That's the goal, man. That's the only objective we have. It's simple. Save souls, Jesus. Save them. Save them and use us, Lord. Use me to save every single one of them if I have to. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen.